0: You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I am Ken Smith, certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis. Sitting next to my business partner and co-host Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey Ken. Ethan is also a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis and we are partners in the financial services company Empirical Wealth Management and we're uh, we are we are broadcasting live today from the Seattle location in the high above Seattle, downtown Seattle, in the Empirical Towers, Ethan, should I just to say? Indeed. Uh, Not really, but uh, in our building. And uh, the show is live, so if you would like to join us, uh, Ethan's going to give out our contact information in a second, but I want to share that this show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas and also be a form of watchdog, financial watchdog for you, to uh, protect you from uh, the uh, powers that be out in the forces of the market, Ethan. Forces of evil? The forces of evil, the dark side, Mm -hmm. as we might refer, that might attempt to guide or uh, steer you in a direction that might be uh, disadvantageous to making optimal financial decisions. And uh, we'll go through some of the articles today, Ethan, that I've uncovered, and we'll talk about that very thing. Sounds good. Before we get into today's financial topics... Why don't you go ahead and do that and give out our financial, our, not our financial information, your financial information <laughs> and our contact information. You know? Well, I'm
2: pretty sure I can handle that. Uh, All right. If you'd like to join the, sh- the program today, uh, feel free to give us a call or shoot us an email. And uh, we can be reached at contact at com, or via phone here uh, and join the live broadcast at it's 866. a prank caller. Oh, already? <laughs> Interesting. 866-472-5790. And, um, you know, if you're an individual investor out there, perhaps you're getting, uh, close to retirement, uh, looking to make, uh, the most of what you have for retirement, uh, we are experts in that. And if you'd like to give us a call, we can kind of go over uh, the, the details of what we provide for, for clients in that situation. And if you'd like to, uh, visit our website as well, we have a video prepared called The Five Secrets of Retirement Success.
1: Does that include the secret sauce, Ethan?
2: Indeed. Um, it's at net. It's the first thing you'll see in the big banner there, and uh, just a, a quick twenty-minute video that talks about some of the strategies around Social Security, around Roth conversions, uh, asset placement, some some tax effect of those things, and a few other items as well. So feel free to give us a call here uh,
1: or check out our website. That sounds pretty cool. It is pretty cool. All right, Ethan. Well, um, I know you have some some articles that you wanted to talk about the sequestration situation a few other uh, wall street um naughty things is that what it was what was it wall streets uh, going sideways on us again here
2: yeah there was uh, some items on the sequester um
1: you know I, I obviously that's been
2: about around the news here quite a bit and uh, i just have some data as to what that actually is and how, what, it, what it means you know that sort of thing not not a lot of information but uh if you're confused as to the terminology, um, it might be interesting to go over that.
1: All right. Well, maybe before we do, maybe I can go through a few things yeah. that I was just reading uh, that were forward to me, and also just some of the you know client or investor questions and uh, and or things that we encounter. We like to talk about because it's more real. Ethan, I think it's more real. We were doing a presentation yesterday in one of the local markets here, mm-hmm. and it was we had a little discussion on the way back. You probably didn't. I wanted to talk about this, but I thought we could bring it up. Um, And we were presenting a lot of evidence about uh, investing and and the science around investing and what we've learned over the last, uh, well, for us, almost 20 years each doing Mm -hmm. being in this. Mm -hmm. And I was sharing my story a little bit about the frustration that I had earlier in my career coming in, and I was reading and trying to keep up with all the pertinent financial information that was coming out, so Barron's, Wall Street Journal... Uh, all the various right. subscriptions that I could get um, as my position as advisor, get access to reading those reports, analyst reports on sectors, um, on countries, on, eco- on the economy, uh, you know, all the way down to individual companies and within those sectors and trying to turn that in or figure out how people were turning that into profits. Mm-hmm. I also had the ability to see through the position I was in to talk to literally thousands of investors over my time. Um, before everyone got to doing what we're currently doing and see how they were making decisions and see whether those decisions turned out in a lot of cases to be money-making or, or detrimental decisions. And in all my time, I was very frustrated because it seemed that investing was this very uh, elusive endeavor in which um, everyone kind of had their own. Viewpoint or slant on how it should work and how they would be successful at it, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times within the industry, I would see conflicting uh, advice. And so, hey, if I'm picking this, to give you one example, Ethan. If if I was a professional manager picking individual stocks, I would never fire myself. But if I was buying another group of professionals in mutual funds, I'd have no problem rotating those in and out and firing them, saying, hey, we gotta we gotta get rid of them because they're not performing. Right. right? Those just, that's just one tiny example of a conflict, right? Where you'd say, "Well, that doesn't make sense." Same thing if you're an individual. If you were picking your own stocks, rarely would you fire yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, versus if you hired someone to pick them, you, a lot of us would be very uh, there'd be a lot of scrutiny, right? We'd be very quick to change managers or change horses. Mm-hmm. So one of those things. Well, we were doing the presentation, and uh, I think it was really good information. I think the, the group at large, um, we were presenting things that most of them hadn't been incorporating in their portfolio and the feedback. that yeah, had but that's the discussions, mm-hmm. um, And some that hadn't ever been, haven't ever incorporated this type of scientific approach to investing or evidence-based, empirical-based approach. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, really... It, it seemed that it didn't affect them, that the research or the support of the evidence wasn't changing because they excluded themselves from the group that was making the poor decisions or yeah. wasn't incorporating the evidence to make better investment decisions. Right. And I was explaining to you, oh, wow, that's, sometimes that's frustrating. <laughs> yes, it is frustrating. You know, and, and how can that be? Wouldn't we all want to, first of all, wouldn't we all want to make the best financial decisions we could? Wouldn't we be concerned about... Uh, maximizing our opportunity. for We've all um, worked hard uh, to earn the money that we have to save for future mm-hmm. objectives or to have a nice, comfortable retirement. So why would anyone, um, why would they allow themselves to get connected to a strategy which has been shown to be a very poor strategy? And you took it a step further and you said, well, most people don't even know what their returns have been. They are patting themselves on the back, right, saying, hey, we've done a great job. I feel like I'm, I've made a good job. I've got a very disciplined approach to what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm very smart, right? Mm-hmm. And we've often talked about that it's not really how smart you are. The smarter uh, there are some very, very bright people on Wall Street who are running these funds and trying to beat the market. Um, the fact that they are smart and that you're smart makes it even tougher to do over the long run, not easier, right? Uh, because for every smart person, there's another smart person out there. Uh, and the only way that you can outsmart the market per se, right, Yeah. Um, by interpreting today's news, coming back to my first statement, which is, geez, I thought staying up on current events and news would allow me to make superior investment decisions. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, in my personal experience from college in those early days of uh, being an investor and also being in the profession – I quickly realized that, no, I could read articles 24 hours a day and still have the same likelihood of outperforming the general stock market uh, if that's where I'm putting my energy as someone who read very little. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in the various Wall Street uh, articles that you've presented about the, the analysts, the brightest analysts out there picking the top 10 stocks and the top worst. and Ultimately, the top the 10 best that they pick wind up being the 10 worst and vice versa. Right, right? right, right. It's not because they're not smart guys. It's because yeah, they're much dealing much. with a very efficient market power. That is, everyone can interpret the news. So those future prospects are quickly priced into those securities. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens after that prediction tends to be for things uh, as a result of things that weren't predicted a lot of times. If it Right. Yeah. Unforeseen events uh, tend to dictate. Right. That's true. Yeah. Um, so back around, Ethan, we, we were just saying that hey, you know, we want to share this information with you, and we hope that as we do share investment strategies or ideas, or as we show you, you know, the vault segment where we tell you about people making predictions uh, and how often they're they're wrong, uh, and us presenting this evidence about investing on the show that you. You approach it with an objective, open mind, and if you take the approach that, look, I just want to make the best financial decisions, I don't need to have my ego connected to how that gets done. Right. I think all of us will do much better over the long run. Uh, I've tried to make sure that that's pervasive in our investment uh, committee, (laughs) the way that we're picking investments, but none of us get connected to uh, our egos connected to some investment strategy that we've come up with. Um, but that we always try to put our clients first and say, hey, what? It's not whether, you know, the moment we figure out that picking 10 stocks, right, out of a 1,000, um, that anyone in the world has the ability to do that consistently, we'll tr- embrace that strategy faster than anyone. Um, there'll be no ego about it, right? And we'll sure. get it incorporated into our clients' p- portfolios. Mm-hmm. Also accounting for risk, Right. Right. Um, there's there's no, I have no uh, connection ego-wise into changing because the market, yeah, it evolves and research evolves, right? Yep. Um, so next week, Ethan, I want to tackle this. There's a swirling uh, debate here about a paper that, that the Vanguard company put out. Um, and I just, we won't have time today to go through it all, but it's... Um, the, the, the debate is around them putting a paper, The Case for Vanguard Active Management, Solving the Low-Cost Top Talent Paradox that they published just a month ago here, January. Um, and I'd like to you know spend the next week dissecting that paper.
2: I can't
3: wait.
1: Oh, I bet you can. Um, and going through the, the differing views about that. And then also what I, I think is most important of all, Ethan, is getting these these financial issues distilled down to something practically applicable to your situation? Yeah. Because we could debate about a, a variety of very esoteric topics in finance until the cows come home. Simon, that's your cue. Until the cows come home. <laughs> um, just kidding. He probably doesn't have one. But uh, it wouldn't make much difference if it wasn't changing or implementable. You know, something that could be implemented easily into a portfolio. I right. also want to talk about, there's some funds coming out, Ethan, I don't know if you're aware that uh, various fund companies or ETF companies are launching what they're calling low volatility index funds, hmm. um, where they're segmenting out stocks from a particular group or uh, index that are have a historic, historic, uh, historically lower volatility. And so we'll talk about that. Interesting, I uh, not aware of that in the next couple shows. Right. Yeah, because what I, I want to talk about is hey, we, we we certainly are open to reviewing research and looking for areas to invest in that help us manage our, the portfolios better. Right. Um, but you have to also <clears throat> take all of that with, with extreme caution. Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of the products, and we'll read some of this, in the, that come out and, and during various points in history, are not always the best products. Um, they just happen to be timely from a marketing perspective, but not from a, a practical investment application perspective. Yeah, sure. Meaning that, of course, when we've gone through volatile times and, and the market dropping, you know, in the last 13 years or so here, we've had some pretty tough markets, right? That we've gone through. Indeed. Um, the the market in itself is ripe for marketing schemes that purport to have low risk and high returns. Uh, same thing on the fixed income side. I just got a call from a, um, a company that is issuing private. Uh, they're taking investors' money on a local basis, and they're investing in private debt. Um, so hmm. investors that uh, – people that have property or want to transition property or flip property mm-hmm. and are willing to pay up to 18 to 20% interest rates to get funding because they can't get it from a traditional bank. Okay. Um, there are groups that are packaging these loans and selling them to the, to investors. Wow. And they're targeting advisors like us as well as channels to get mm-hmm. that out there. And a lot of advisors are, are as susceptible as individual investors can be to some of these investments because they want to retain their clients, want to do anything they can to, 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 to make their clients feel that they're doing their job of presenting unique or interesting investments that maybe clients. And what do people want right now? Yeah. Well they want right. they want some yield, right? They want yield. But by the way, the expense in this particular product is extreme. It's about six to eight percent as far as I can tell from my brief discussion wow. right, to get it. So the, the net is around twelve percent or so. Wow. And and I was saying, well, you know, one of my first questions was, hey, I, I typically don't invest money into these types of investments. But just out of curiosity, what kind of expense? And and the uh, the salesperson for that particular product was was a little bit defensive about that being one of the first questions. You know, wouldn't you be more concerned about fraud? But um, well, let's pick up on this. We have to take a quick break, okay. and when we do, uh, we'll pick up on that and then kind of cruise through the rest of these articles. Either. All right. Be right back. Mm-hmm.
4: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business
3: network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right,
2: we are back on Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, We're here for our second segment. I think this is a four-segment show today, right, guys? Three break, four segments, great. Yeah. Um, And uh, we were just uh, talking about a few things. kinda going to explore a little bit more, but before we get to that, I thought I'd give out our contact information one more time in case the folks out there want to join the show. Uh, As always, you can reach us at (laughs) contact at empiradio.com via email there or at phone. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. And, uh, Ken, right before the break, you were talking about, um, your discussion with, um, a person who apparently sells these packaged mortgage products, right, of some kind. And the first question in your mouth was, well, what's it cost? And
1: uh, is that how that went? Yeah. And the person was getting a little defensive, saying, well, wouldn't you rather discuss, um, whether or not, um, there's fraud, right? Because it's kind of a private deal. They're buying, they're they're basically finding uh, people who want to borrow money short term to secure against property,
2: mm-hmm.
1: real estate, um, and it's not 100 percent leverage. They want them to have some equity into the property, so that's their safety trigger in this whole thing as well. They need to have at least uh, 50 to 65 percent, something like that, of equity in it. And we're lending the difference, and they're doing it at you know 18 to 20 percent rate or whatever it, the the, the wow. rate is on this till the person can get out of the property, or do whatever it is to get permanent finance, whatever they're going to do uh-huh. in local property. And there's some interesting things about that offer that would make it appealing. Now we've seen these things blow up, right, in sure. Friday, and in a number of ways. Fraud could be one of them, mm-hmm. um, and the person felt very secure or comfortable by it. Clearly that must be one of the objections that they've been getting, so he's very prepared and wants to discuss why we're not a fraud part of it, but I think it threw him that that wasn't the first question. And my point was, well, determining whether there's fraud in these types of investments, it takes a lot of time and effort and uh, certainly due diligence. That's how some advisors have gotten in trouble because they didn't do the appropriate due diligence on some of these private type and real estate deals. Right. And their clients got hurt and now they're being sued here. This is a big deal that's happened locally in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Yep. but it, 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 you know, we were saying, hey, this one of the problems was they were putting the entire bond portion of of their of clients' portfolios. Some of these advisors were taking clients' portfolios and putting the entire bond into these private real estate mortgage deals. Right. Um, that ultimately wound up being a fraud, and the deals weren't working out. But why do I, you know, why would I start with the most difficult? If I could, if I was, if you were able to eliminate the investment. For other simple, more quantifiable things like the expense, would I pay six to eight percent a year as an expense for an investment fund? And his argument was, well, why wouldn't you if the net return is still twelve percent, or that's what it's been in the past, right? There's no guarantee that that's right. What it would be in the future. And most of these types of investments, when they do come along, um, rarely are they have they been around say for fifty years, right? It's, <laughs> hey, we just this fund's been around. It's we're taking advantage of this current market. The story usually goes: We're taking advantage of this current market opportunity. There's inefficiencies yep. in the market. There's a gap of some kind that we're feeling, and it's a unique, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You start hearing that, and uh, while well, it does make the, the sizzle uh, of the uh, investment sound pretty good, it should actually start sending off some alerts.
2: Exactly right. I, you know, um, real quick, I had, a, uh, I had some friends. Um, uh, my wife and I have some friends who live in California. This is several years ago, maybe 2005-ish. They had been uh, approached by a person who sells basically a similar type of thing. You know, it's basically private private debt for real estate purchases. And uh, hey, they're, 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 this particular fund had, had a track record the last five years for getting like 15% per year. Mm-hmm. I mean, consistently 15% per year. And so they were approached. and They, oh, look, the track record's very good. And um, you know, they actually they. Took some money from their, their home equity to buy to invest in this particular investment. Wow! And of course, well, we know what happened, right? The just as soon as they invested, within less than a year, as their their payments were supposed to per, come due to them, you know, didn't receive anything, so they lost the entire investment basically. But the same type it happened in California a couple of years ago. Obviously, it was a bigger thing going on with the housing crisis and so forth. But uh, same type of thing, same type of risks out there. And if you have a I you know, something's Consistently getting 12 percent per year with no volatility. Something's going on there. It's, right. It should be warning signs, warning bells, not, not attractiveness. Oh, that sounds good to me.
1: You know? Well, and, and and here was my the part where we kind of got into a little bit of a discussion or debate here, which was why is it relevant? Why would the expense ratio be relevant if I was getting you twelve percent, right? Well part of the reason it would be relevant. Um, Because you see this in in a lot of investment packages that are these private deals, particularly when they're offering a higher than uh, normal return Mm -hmm. or income, Mm -hmm. uh, is that the purveyors of these assume that the investors shouldn't really care about the higher expense. They should be willing to pay 2% or more for a private kind of deal or whatever it is. But if it was in a, a broadly publicly traded kind of arena, it would be very hard to get away with the 6%. I don't even know if you could do it, by the way. I think there are limitations on expense ratios on publicly traded mutual funds. Mm. Um, you know, you don't see too many with an operating expense of 6% as an example. <laughs> just, but just a 6% load. I, I know sad. there are limits on even the loads, though. Yeah, that's even true. Even though they can be high, they can't be 20% loads. Yeah, right. There are some uh, uh, restrictions on that. But why would it be relevant? Well, part of the reason it would be relevant is that anything that would pay a gross return of uh, a yield of 18 to 20%, you would be very naive to believe that there wasn't risk involved because nobody would be, would you be willing to go to the bank and have them lend you money at 18 to 20%? Well, not if you had a very stable financial situation, right? If yeah. You had a lot of money in the bank, a right. lot of assets, a lot of security. You'd say, well, why would I get charged 18 you know, on your mortgage right now, right? Would you be willing to... <laughs> pay 18 percent or anything near that right no. I mean of course not you're doing everything you can to get it into the three or four percent exactly right right, right? Mm-hmm. you certainly wouldn't expect to get charged 10 or twenty percent right now right so there's a reason why you would accept that right if you were willing to accept that there'd be a reason and you'd be because you realize you're a risky guy <laughs> yep that investing with you is risky mm-hmm. and so you'd be willing to pay that hey I realize it's as risky and if you'll give me the money, I'd be willing to give you a higher rate because I can't get the money anywhere else. Yes. I can't go to a traditional means to get it. Right. But what if the treasury is yielding, say, 2.5% and uh, there's a high likelihood, Ethan, that you would default and I was going to put your money into a, a package of a loans and I was going to sell to investors. And I said, well, treasuries are at 2.5% right now. So what if I could double that? If I could get my investors 5 is that a good deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what if I charged you 12% because you were an extremely risky guy, but I just kept the change. I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and give the investors 5%. I'll keep the difference. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, why would anyone complain about that when I'm still offering you double what the treasury rate is? Right, right. You see where I'm going with that? I right? think so. And so I take 7%. You take 5 right? And you're getting double. So what would be your complaint? Well, the complaint would be that if I put a basket of guys like you together, there could be some default.
3: There's yeah, a chance that, that somebody's right?
1: not going to pay. It's right? going to be exactly right. Uh, and what if that rate part of the compensation, right, for when you're buying, say, higher yielding bonds versus very, um, you know, either risk free bonds like treasuries or mm-hmm. um, the the compensation for that additional risk, and plus the fact that some of the bonds aren't going to pay off. Um, needs to be high enough so you, that you still expect to get a greater return. Positive return, right. But what if the default rate, the default loss rate, um, in that scenario I just laid out for you was, say, 4%. Mm-hmm. So the gross yield on this thing was 12%, I said, right? I was offering you 5 in the beginning, at the beginning of these loans. Yep. But suddenly we have because um, I'm taking my expense no matter what. You don't get a choice about that. Sure. I'm getting it. I am going. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Um, now, if we had a default of four percent, well, what do you wind up getting? Yeah, I get one percent. You get one percent, right? So you wind up getting less than. Intri- well, that's you know, why. Get- you like that? I wouldn't like. That. Okay, so that's why it's extremely important to know what the expense is, regardless of what the starting yield has been. Yeah. Right. Or what the package of these loans are, because. Anybody that's going to pay you eighteen percent is going to be a, should be a high risk. Otherwise, he's just finding a lot of dumb people mm-hmm. that are willing to you know what I mean to, get, to pay that rate um, on on a, on a particular loan. It, there would be no reason to if they could secure the money at current interest rates, right? Right. So it may not be a bad investment, but the other problem we talk about is that these these types of investments should be allocated at a very small portion of your portfolio. They right. shouldn't be the Hey, I was buying treasury. I was buying treasuries and only getting two and a half. And now I'm shipping out of it. I'm selling all my treasuries and buying private real estate loan packages. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make sense? You know, no. You should have maybe a ten or twenty percent allocation to interesting or alternative or you know risky investments if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And keep within that context. Right. Okay.
2: You definitely got to limit your exposure to those things. I mean. Anybody who's offering those types of high rate or returns, I, we, and we see it all the time, and that's just one example. But you know, the higher, the, higher the, the yield, the higher the dividend yield on, on things. Definitely, the higher risk. No question about that. Those things are related. Um, and you can't you can't get away from that. So you've got to be very very careful
1: about it. Is that to say that there aren't good opportunities? Occasionally, particularly in local markets or in certain pockets of investing, um, you just have to you, you have to be careful about how you approach that. And I get very nervous about, well, whoever's putting the, the fund together makes a lot of money in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So they don't really, it's not a function of, hey, we have to have this fund survive and do well for the next 20 years for us to make money, right? Yeah. It's, hey, if I got the, if I can get this thing running and get my fees out at 8%, it doesn't, you know what I mean? That's It doesn't take a lot of assets under management at 8% a year mm-hmm. to make a pretty reasonable amount of money very quickly, even if the fund could... Explodes, right? And I, I would
2: say it really is a matter of time before the, so the 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 risk that you're bearing is realized. You're gonna right. eventually you will have, have that risk become come into light. I mean, if you're, you may not be this year, it may not be the next six months, but eventually the circumstances, in the market will change so dramatically that, that if that opportunity exists, it will not exist permanently. Right. And the things that make it not exist permanently will help probably drive that price that that investment down quite a bit as defaults start to rise and obviously lower rate, future rates of return.
1: Hi, right, Ethan. Well, a couple of articles here. We've got about a minute. Maybe we'll just start. And uh, brokers um, pressured to keep promoting high-margin products. Wall Street Journal um, yesterday, or no, February 25th, I'm sorry, um, by Corey DeBush. Um, I don't know if we have it. But uh, the largest retail brokerages in the nation may have ended last year on a high note with increased revenues, but brokers aren't finding themselves relaxing just yet. Instead, some say they are feeling the pressure to keep revenues up by promoting investment products with higher commissions and fees. Hang on. That's a shocker. Is that a shocker?
2: I w- wonder what, under what environment does that not occur? That's always I is. That is not surprising at all to me. Mm. If you can... if. <laughs> That's how that's the name of the game on Wall Street. I'm not sure why that's even uh, surprise at all to me. It doesn't surprise me at all. So all right. Go ahead. I rudely interrupted, but I can don't in find that. In the surprising. final
1: quarter of 2012, the largest brokers, um, commonly referred to as wirehouses, posted strong revenues from their large brokerage forces. The fourth quarter is traditionally a time when more commissions and fees are generated as advisors maneuver their clients' assets to be in the best tax position for the year. Blah, blah, blah. And it goes on. It says Merrill Lynch broker. Oh, we've got to take a quick break, I guess, either. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We'll talk about this broker's pressure to promote high margin products to their clients and move on from there when we get back. Empirical Investing Radio.
4: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
3: are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com
4: Voice America Business Network.
0: You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
2: All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broda, alongside Ken Smith. If you'd like to join the program again, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790 or via email at contact at EMPIRadio.com. And uh, Ken, right before the break, we were just talking about a an article that appeared, looks like, in the Wall Street Journal. The headline is, uh, Brokers pressure to Keep Promoting High Margin Products. And uh, I was obviously chuckling right before the break there, but that seems uh, ain't not a surprise at all. Uh, isn't that how they? it's typically done? It was kind of my, my statement.
1: Uh, but read on. All right, read on. So, um, a Merrill Lynch broker who manages a branch in the southeast uh, spoke on the condition of uh, anonymity because he didn't, he doesn't have his firm's permission to, to speak with the press. Well, of course not. Given what Unless he's saying, they I'm they pretty would. sure they wouldn't want that out there. Yes, brokerage companies aren't going to want their employees to speak directly to the press about this kind of stuff. Um, but it, the increased activity showed in the brokerage firms' quarterly earnings. Morgan Stanley reported a big jump in its pre-tax profit, hitting 17 percent. Bank of America Corp's Global Wealth Management Group, which is composed mostly of Merrill Lynch and UBS, uh, UBS is, um America's Wealth Management Unit, both saw their average revenue per advisor climb significantly. Hmm. You were saying that when that happens, it's to the cost of typically the investor. But yeah, where do they get the where do they get it from?
2: Isn't it's not like it's off the streets or right. they're not mining for it someplace? It's hmm. from.
1: Exactly from the client's accounts is where that's coming The improvements from. were likely partially a result of more trading activity, but also partially due to cost cutting. Oh, well, that's was reasonably The quest now is to keep those revenues up. To do so, firms have an eye on promoting products that generate greater profit margins. According to a broker at UBS Wealth Management, there's been a big push to put client money in alternative investments – as well as the lending business. Mm-hmm. Alternative investments are some of the biggest profit generators for the firm, he said. That's something we've been talking about a lot recently, Ethan, has said all of a sudden these alternative investments are popping up like cockroaches, right? Mm-hmm. They're um, just coming out of the woodwork. And every time, you know, it's interesting, it's at a time when people are, have lost money, and so they're already struggling, right, in a tough economy. Right. Um, And now we're going to roll out things that hey, we'll make they they make money in any market is is kind of the interesting. They figure out a way to say hey, well the market's down. What you really need, if it winds up being the insurance companies, right? What you need is an annuity. Mm -hmm. You need that lifetime guarantee of income. So pull your all your assets out of the market at the ultimate rock bottom low point of the market (laughs) and buy an annuity. Now, annuity may be a great thing for some people for a portion of their investment. Is it a great thing at the very bottom of the market? Probably not. I don't know. You know you'd know, really have to think that. Is it a great thing at the bottom of the market from a guy who's going to make a huge commission on it? i probably Maybe that'd that would be person. the next question. Yeah, let's question. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now it's, it's all this alternative stuff, which we've sidestepped because it's expensive. there has been one of my criteria going back to the very beginning of yeah. the show, right? It's all this garbage that comes out. It's never, hey, it's the lowest cost uh, investment you can get. It right? doesn't right. ever lower your co- to the, the, the solution that you want, which is ultimately great returns at no risk. And, hey, guess what? We've got it um, at, at these turning points. It never comes with, hey, we also figured out a way to keep the cost lower than anything you've ever been doing. Right, it's It's always a new chance to reset the fees because what happens is traditional investments – over time, they get more efficient. There's more competition, right? Yep. And the fees get compressed, and we're seeing it between Vanguard and Schwab. They're battling it out
2: mm-hmm.
1: with these. With Now it's you know just large-cap ETFs, as an example, are down to, what, six, seven basis points? Four basis points. In the Four scale. basis points? That's right. Wow. I mean, that's an incredibly low cost, right? Yeah. I mean, just think when you and I started... If we were sitting down and saying, "Man, we'll see large cap investments, um, investment funds down to four basis points," I I don't even know if I would have ever thought that could happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talked about you know or even years- the trading commissions. Remember when, yeah. when we were yeah. when I started and I was working at Schwab, um, you know, the idea of paying zero for an ETF trade right or now maybe even eight dollars right <laughs> to do, um, Back then they were the cheap guy in the, in the thing, and and you. For stocks and things you might pay a few hundred dollars a column and do a trade still and that was cheap yeah depending on the size exactly uh, right so what I'm saying is that the once these investments like the large cap you know indexing and stuff they get out there and then they get so competitive that it drives the, the commoditized price of these down and down and mm-hmm. so now it's practically free right four basis points but the brokers you know are they making a lot of money at four basis points? Now well, how do you if you're smart, how are you gonna do it? Well you're gonna come up with a new product that not everybody else already has mm-hmm. that you can kinda of, in essence charge whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Right? You can come out with a private real estate fund and charge six percent because Schwab and and, and Vanguard and Phil they're not all competing with that same fund. Right. So the way you do it is you just create funds. Now that begs the question is are these really viable investments that are needed in a portfolio? That's secondary to what, what the objective is here for these big buyer houses, Yeah, I would even say that, pr- that probably isn't even secondary. I mean, that's probably further down
2: the list in my view. <laughs> Could be what? Fifth dairy? Sixth
1: dairy, <laughs> something like that? <laughs> Third it's like dairy. a farm here with all the dairy. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Well, where was I? Alternative investments are some of the big profit generators. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, also popular asset-based lines of credit. Uh, which are relatively easy way to earn a few percent in interest. Yeah, Part of this encouragement comes from how UBS uh, now compensates its brokers. The firm tweaked its so-called pay grid, uh, the basic formula for paying brokers a percentage of the revenue they produce to include incentives for selling products such as mortgages and credit lines.
2: I think that's done it across the board. Isn't it isn't unique to this particular company.
1: No, I think all the major warehouses or brokerage firms or whatever you want to call them, Yeah. Um, if you look across the lines of how do we make money here? Is it proprietary products? Is it products of companies that we own or have interest in? Is it products of companies who agreed to give us a, a kickback or a remuneration of some sort out of their expense ratio or operating fund? Whatever those products are, I would, I would, uh, wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, internally in these companies a prioritization list it may not be published publicly or even put out within the company. Yeah. But the incentives and the structure and it wouldn't shock me to see that, hey, what we're really pushing, um, or what we happen to be selling a lot more of currently is something that the brokerage company is trying to get out that right. just coincidentally makes the company a reasonable, uh, you know more profit. Let's put it that way. Yep. Um, so whether it's insurance products, annuities, um, if it's banking services, lines of credit, mortgages, um, credit on uh, accounts, if it's you know any of that stuff, typically if you could dig deep enough into it, you'll see why whoever's at the at the at the end speaking with the clients, there's something going on that either it's just they get to keep their job because they're they're putting they're placing enough people in these products or they get some sort of a bonus or incentive compensation for mm-hmm. doing a good job of that. Um it would be very shocking to for me to to see in any of these firms uh a model where hey we're all just evenly salaried or compensated equally regardless of you know by putting the clients in what they need the most. Right. Um that's why we're we're it's it's not even enough for me to have a fee uh, based well let me get into this and I'll explain. Uh, Morgan Stanley's wealth management Merrill's pay grids for 2013 also reward bonuses to brokers with growing loan based businesses. Financial advisors at Merrill say they're also feeling continued push to get more assets into value based models. Those that charge clients a fee for advice and a financial plan. Merrill, along with its uh, rivals, have long encouraged fee-based advising as clients are increasingly seeking such a model and it provides a more stable revenue flow. Mm-hmm. I think, this is a quote, I think the warehouses are smart enough to see the trend is heading toward fiduciary, said Aloise Perker, an analyst with Boston-based research firm Eight Group. Revenues in retail brokerages for the most part tend mm-hmm. to ebb and flow along with market rallies and declines. I mean,
2: I, I, just real quick on the comment above about the fiduciary All stuff. Right. I mean, I mean, maybe, I guess there's a trend, general trend in that way, but we're probably, I mean, it's, you can't, I can't say within 10 years they'll have a fiduciary standard for broker. Maybe it's 50 years if they're going that direction. It's like a snail's pace. So I don't know, I'm not
1: sure I agree with that. Well, I think they're, that they're seeing that the trend towards that fiduciary part of that trend across is clients are becoming more educated or demanding. It could be, yeah. Now the reason why you can get a large cap fund for four basis points is because investors have gotten more educated and there's more competition, right? And and so, you know, when there when there was little competition, it wasn't at four basis points. Even if it could have been structurally supported, like even if it sure. could have done it at four basis points, were. Um, so it's not that any of the firms. Even the discount brokerage firms, I, this is my view, is, you know, they wouldn't have changed away from the trading model, but think about what happened after the tech bubble. Trading dried up. Yep. And then you right. had competitors coming in that were reducing the trading fees to try to win over the online trading business.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't because brokers wanted to charge less. They could have done it before then, the year before they decided to lower their fee, right? Right. But now they're switching into this fee thing, not because they've, now the the claim is going to be, well, because it's better for clients, right? When they ultimately finally come over to this type of model, the the fee only type of model, Mm -hmm. of course they're going to to position it that, well, we're doing it because that's what clients want it because it's, you know, or it's a better model or even, um, some of the other banks that they're not mentioning here have started to shift that. But I almost believe it's like they got dragged into it. Yeah, sure. Business got dragged into the fee only kind of deal. Right. And then they realized, well, hey, it also is a better way to get. Con- and once you've. Once now the commissions have come down where it's hard to make the killing they were making, because they would have never got out of it if they could have kept the commissions as high as they used to. Sure, yeah, for sure. Um, they, they were. The average fee, right, maybe around 1% at the. You know, in one to one and a half on a, on a managed. Not for the. These guys were charging a lot more in the past for that, but. Right. I think that's where it's going, and uh, okay. if it's not there already, but the, if they were churning someone's account with the trading commissions that they were charging, it probably were generating five or more percent a year in costs. True. And back in the back in the day, right? Right. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense why they, you know, now when they're when they can't charge those commissions, it's kind of then it's easier to say, well, now well, we should switch into this fee based model. Because it's steadier revenue, right? Okay, and and people aren't trading themselves into a the frenzy like they used to as much as they did. Apparently, we've got to take another break. Sam, is that correct? Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll finish up with our final segment. Sounds so, great. We'll be right back.
0: business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
3: are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com.
4: You are
0: listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back.
2: Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. I think this is our last segment of the show today. If you'd like to join us, feel free to give us a call. We can be reached at 866 5790 or via email at contact at empiradio.com. Uh, we, car- uh, we were just finishing up a, uh, an article before the break there, Ken, talking about uh, brokerage firms and fees and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think we can move on from that, but uh, the, the moral of the story is if you're an investor, um, it's, in my view, okay to pay fees, to realize that for any type of service, particularly a good one, yeah. something of value, it should be generating value to you. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning, we were talking about it, you know, where we were presenting evidence to in- investors in a group who were saying, hey, right. this is, you know, If you do you have evidence? Do you have evidence that disputes this finding? You know, over the last ten years, active management stock pickers, right, in certain categories, have failed at a rate of ninety-five percent failure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this isn't something that I would expect to be significantly different from individuals who are out there trying to beat the market picking stocks. Yep. Um, because we've seen the Dalbar studies and whatever studies they we've been able to find. Are, sure. The performance of people at places like E Trade, right, or Fidelity, or other brokerage companies, whether sitting there managing on their own, picking stocks or funds, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's been horrible, horrible performance. But every person we've met that's been doing it on their own, they never say they've had a bad experience. It's been great. But then when you ask them, okay, so what has it been? What What have you? What's your annualized return been over the last one, three, five, ten years? I have no idea. Have you ever met one person that was able to give you that and whip it out and go, oh, here it is? Nope, um, not one. No, and it's it's very do- well documented in the behavioral research that we have this bias. They did a study. Hey, they asked people what they thought they did, what the returns they thought they actually got, and across the board, people answered or responded uh, with higher estimates of their past performance than when they actually got the the statements. And the researchers then calculated out what the real returns were, Yeah. and they were significantly low—not just low, significantly lower than what people thought they had.
2: Yeah, if I recall, done it, on their own. If I recall, it was like along the lines of four to five percent range higher than what they actually
1: got. So, it's one thing to say, "Well, I don't—I don't get help because i I've, i Susie Orman told me I shouldn't pay fees." Susie, 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 or. <laughs> Someone else, you know, a Vanguard blog, uh, I went to the Vang- Bogglehead guys, say you don't ever pay fee. And a lot of that stuff I just don't, I, even if I wasn't in this, you know, I was telling you and I both agree, when well, we're done with our careers here, right? I'm going to pay someone what, what we charge to handle my investments and to keep an eye on my financial situation. There's no amount of knowledge I'm going to, I have or will continue to get that's gonna make me want to do that when I could be doing other more valuable things, sure. spending time with my family, traveling, mm-hmm. anything than reading stock reports when I'm retired. Well said. Now I, I get maybe some people enjoy, and that was the other question I yeah. don't understand, is who in their who would want to sit there in their retirement <laughs> in front of their computer reading stock reports? And who would want to do that when the evidence is very clear that the likelihood of you adding any value, like it's not even just, well, if I put the time in, I get a little bit better return. So I guess it's worth spending my retirement researching, or reading a news Bob Brinker newsletters to try to figure out how to adjust my. I don't know that the results are likely that you'll not only won't you not do better, but you'll do worse, right. and you'll spend all your time wasting your time doing this stuff. Why would I want? Would you want to do that? Absolutely not. I don't know why anyone would. If if you are one of those guys, I'd love to hear, or understand better, because I haven't been able to figure it out why you would want to spend your time doing that. And I was saying, just like I don't work, I'm not working. So at the end of it, I can go. Well, now I finally have time to change my oil and, you know, rebuild my my car engine or whatever. That I I would I would rather be doing other things. Um, I'd rather make the best possible financial decisions I can even if that means I don't be always in control of everything or I uh, I don't get to have the fun with all my money of, of gambling on particular stock ideas or, or whatever mm-hmm. um, but now I've because I've done better making those smart investments or I' have hired someone to do that to make these consistent I have more money where I don't I don't have to worry about that that I, yeah, I mean, we're on the same page. I mean, okay.
2: you know, I've had some some home projects that I've done around the house. Um, probably not as good a job as I could have done, and so now I don't do those anymore if I can help it. Like big projects, like if I had to hang some drywall or that sort of thing, I, I'm not I'm not good at that, nor do I like it. And I'm going to hire somebody, pay them to do it, and do a good job for me.
1: So I think where we are in the in the in the marketplace of of getting investment help, there's no shortage, right? There's thousands upon thousands of advisors and the brokers out there, um, the, the, the positive is that there are plenty of places now that are happy in between where I don't have to pay 5% a year to get advice anymore. Yeah, right. Right? I don't sure. have to get churned or have commissions or be sold a bunch of products with loads, right, that I get whacked on. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and not only that, but what's evolved is the education level of advisors in our business has continually been pressed and pushed upward. Are very educated and smart advisors that have good financial planning knowledge and ability, and a lot of tools that very that are low cost tools right. to build and design portfolios to do very well for their clients, and that is worth something. Um, yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think they're that they're the the people who just say, ah, I've somebody, I somebody read an article and it really scratched me that I should never pay. They're they're missing it. They're going to cost themselves a lot, but at the same time. They will say, well, I just like the guy. I don't care what I'm paying. You know, we've had that for us. You show somebody, hey, you're really paying a lot more than you should be, and it's for inferior investments in a strategy that's not very well put together. In addition, you're not really even getting any advice along the way in okay. other areas that are very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really care. I like the guy or the girl or whoever. Um, that's not the best approach either. Right. Okay. So one other quick thing here, well, we got a few minutes. Uh, I thought was interesting, and along while we're hammering on all these brokers, that's the theme of the day, I guess. Ethan, <laughs> a scrutinized article by a guy but named Dan Sullen, who writes a blog, and um, the title of it was "Scrutinize Broker Ads Carefully." And just um, basically, it says, you know, if you're in the money management business. Uh, as a brokerage or investment, your goal is to increase the amount of assets you have under management. One of the ways to accomplish this is through advertising. Mm-hmm. Advertising can be helpful to investors if it provides accurate and useful information. It can be harmful, however, if the information is selective and accurate or misleading. And he talks about E-Trade. They run a lot of edgy and kind of wild uh, commercials sometimes, and a lot of them with the little baby. Email. I've seen those. Um, I don't find them amusing. I don't like them I all, because really I take... I take people's money and their life savings and things. I take it very serious. I don't think it's a big joke, personally. Right. Um, but they ran a series of commercials where they attack investment advisors for high fees, and they use two percent as their example, um, which I don't know too many that use two percent. We don't. Our highest ever is, is around one uh, percent, mm-hmm. and then it tears down. As an right but he did the research, Ethan. I know we're going to run out of time. Um, and E-Trade's managed portfolio is around 1%. Um, and so then they the funds that they recommended are mostly actively managed funds
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that carry expense ratios for their product that averaged around 0.72, um, much more than what a, like a comparable passively managed fund would have done. They also had funds that had 12B1 fees of about 0.15 that, and those are basically nothing more than marketing fees that get kicked back. Yeah. To an intermediary. Typically the funds we use, um, not only are they significantly less expensive, but they don't carry 12B1 fees. Right. Uh, we make sure of, of that. Uh, some of the funds that they recommend in their model have actually have front end loads. Wow, really? uh, which we never recommend at all. So the the moral of the story was just be careful what you take away from the commercials of these big brokerage firms, whether they're discount firms or or not. I think that's all the time we have this week, Ethan. Alright. So I guess the next week I want to talk about that Vanguard active versus passive stuff. Sounds good. And the other article. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week on Empirical Investing Radio. We
0: hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.